Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of our look at GI bleeding. And we left off last time showing you some of the cases of bleeding in the stomach. We made the point, of course, that the primary modality is endoscopy for upper GI bleeds, but it's not uncommon. In fact, I saw a case today where CT was done in a patient who really couldn't have endoscopy. They weren't sure the site of bleeding, and sure enough, it was easily shown on CT. Now, one of the things that is helpful looking at the fluid in the stomach, again, the stension of the stomach with water is great. You see the high density. Now, yes, this could be due to medication or something the patient ate, but when you look at the extent of the high density, you recognize that's blood. And in this case, what you can see is active bleeding off the posterior gastric wall, has the look of what appears to be a mass. There are also liver lesions present with some peripheral enhancement. You also can see on the image on the left, there's a partial nephrectomy of the left kidney. There's also a vascular lesion in the head of the pancreas. So now I'm saying clear cell renal cell carcinoma with liver metastasis, as well as pancreatic metastasis, as well as metastasis to the stomach. Wonderful case. Now another example, patient presents with GI bleed. There's a large mass coming off the stomach. You can see some of the increased vascularity. This is a classic appearance for an exophytic mass. It's not the typical appearance for adenocarcinoma or lymphoma. Occasionally it could be metastasis like melanoma, but most classically homogeneous areas of necrosis, some vascularity, that's gonna be a gastric gist tumor. Gist tumors are interesting because although they can go grow intraluminal, for the most part, their large exophytic masses can be 20 or 30 centimeters in size. Most are five to eight centimeters. They can present with bleeding. They can present with mass effect. And at times, in this case, maybe not. In this case, you know it's surely coming off the stomach. In other cases, is not so easy. Often the coronal views, here's the lesion coming off the greater curvature, central necrosis, prominent vascularity, exophytic lesion, gist tumor. And here it is when you do the MIP, as opposed to the volume rendering, the MIP accentuating the prominent vascularity in the lesion. One of the reasons gist tumors do bleed is because of this vascularity. Now the frequency of gist tumors, stomach, small bowel, colon, esophagus, have been increasing fourfold over the past several decades. Now another example, patient with GI bleeding, when you look there's high density in the duodenum, second portion, all the way into third and fourth portion. Yes, you can consider contrast material. One of the nice things with dual phase imaging is if it's contrast or something ingested, it's not gonna change density or appearance. When it's contrast from bleeding, it will change density when you go from arterial to venous. Also, its positioning will typically change as well. Here it's beautiful. Look at the MIP, how the bleed is really going through the entire C-loop. Almost looks like a double contrast uh, uh, upper GI series from the old days with positive contrast, but that's active bleeding in the duodenum. Very nicely shown in this example as well. Another patient, patient had... Uh, uh, drop in hematocrit, patient had an LVAD, and if you look, there's an active bleed in the patient's duodenum, right there and right there, typically due to an ulcer, which in this case was a duodenal ulcer. You can see as you go across the phases, 
the active nature of the bleeding, and you can see how easy it is to recognize. Again, the importance of water as a neutral contrast agent. If patient has positive contrast from a prior study or if they were given positive contrast, you can see how easy it would be to overlook a bleed because a bleed would be obscured by the positive contrast. And here, as you go from arterial to venous, the blush decreases in attenuation and it becomes a bit more extensive. Very classic findings. When the bleed increases or changes significantly between arterial and venous phase, it's more likely that the angiographer will be able to find the site of bleeding when they do the study a couple hours later. Another patient, you can see the duodenum is high density, very much like the stomach, and you go to the next image and there you see the layering out of contrast, active bleed in the patient's duodenum. There was an ulcer present. Again, you want to look very careful for the presence of blood, be it small bowel, colon, or stomach. You also want to be very careful not to overcall it, but when you have an appearance like this, it's suggestive, and then you see the active site. It's very easy. Here it is, just straightforward coronal views, very nicely shown. So again, the importance of looking carefully. I do find the coronal views, particularly in stomach, as well as duodenum and small bowel, a little bit easier. I think at times things can be overlooked on the axial, but they're not overlooked on the coronal view. And here we go from the volume rendering to cinematic rendering. Now, I showed you before an example in terms of bleeding that one of the things we don't think about is the esophagus, but here's just a good example of active bleeding in the esophagus, shown very nicely on cinematic as well. So when you think about upper GI bleeding, although the esophagus is the least common, you better be thinking esophagus, stomach, as well as duodenum to the ligament of trites. Okay, and there's the bleed very nicely shown. Now, typically CT is the study of choice for lower GI bleeding. Now, what's the workup? Well, typically the patient goes straight to CT. We talk about physical exam, digital rectal exam, and proctoscopy, but that's not done in the ER setting. We have many choices, colonoscopy, nuke studies, classic angio, video capsule, CTA. Everybody these days is going directly to CTA. CTA triages the patient. Active bleeding, they go to classic angiography. There's no bleeding, you can stop there. Now, capsule endoscopy, a number of years ago, was 100% sensitive and 100% specific. Then we got more experienced. So many images to look at, it's easy to miss things. It's also important to recognize that when you get down to the numbers, um, you can sometimes pick up tumors, but they're often missed. You can miss lesions in bowel, including sites of bleeding, due to improper bowel prep, rapid transit times, or presence of blood in bowel, obscuring the site of bleeding. Also, if you have a stricture or a mass, you can block progression of the capsule, and you can have obstruction, 
And once you have obstruction of the capsule, the only way to remove it typically is surgically, unless it was obstructed in the proximal duodenum, which is typically not going to be the issue. So again, there's lots of issues with capsule endoscopy. Most people say you shouldn't do it till after you have a CT. You can't find anything on the CT, and you see no sign of obstruction, then maybe do capsule endoscopy. Here's a good example of a patient with a Merkel cell tumor, large mass, dilated bowel, tumor recurrence causing bowel obstruction. Nothing very tricky, and we told them, we called them up, and a couple days later, the patient's having increasing abdominal pain. They want to see progression of the tumor, which sounded strange. Well, they forgot to mention, oh, we gave the patient a camera for a capsule endoscopy anyway, and guess what? You won't believe it, but the tumor is obstructing the capsule. It is going nowhere. Again, this patient had a lesion resected, in part because of the capsule, so you had to go in regardless. Now, here is a topogram, just to make the point, and I've showed this before, that sometimes with things like the capsule or other foreign matter, it almost looks like the patient had barium. One of the reasons we talk about looking at the topogram is because you recognize that's not barium. It almost looks like a Sputnik satellite, but that's how a capsule endoscope actually looks. And again, you can see it obstructing at the level of the mass. Now, you can see sometimes capsule endoscopy, as I mentioned, just misses even large tumors. Patient with a GI bleed with a lyomyoma and ileum. It's interesting, look how vascular that lesion is. It's not really obstructing the bowel, but like many of the smooth muscle tumors, it's exophytic, and so the capsule study was negative. Again, you're negative for a six centimeter mass. CT shows it very nicely. And here again is the vascularity of the lesion. Here it is nicely shown with cinematic rendering. And again, just showing you the feeding vessels, the large mass, and the vascularity. Just a really nice example, again, with a range of cinematic renderings. Now, when you talk about GI bleeding, this article by Wells made the point that CT can be used to identify also complications of hypoperfusion, signs of bowel ischemia or infarction, that is, or the risk of organ exacerbation due to hypoperfusion, failure, arterial stenosis, small celiac and SMA, for example, or involvement of the kidneys. Urgent CT is useful for determining the optimal timing of colonoscopy in cases of acute lower GI bleed. CT can be used to depict the presence and location of active bleeding and provide useful information for subsequent colonoscopy, especially in patients with diverticular disease. What this is saying is we typically or routinely say that you don't do classic angio till you have a positive CT. This article made the point you don't want to do colonoscopy till you have a positive CT because if you have a positive CT, you know better where to look and the success of that procedure will be better. Very, very important. The rate of detection of bleeding source in colonoscopy was significantly higher in the patient with extravasation on contrast enhanced CT than those without extrav. 68 to 20. Very, very significant numbers. Now let me finish off this session by looking at a couple other things. One is nuclear medicine, technesium labeled uh, RBC scans, had a high sensitivity, some of the articles, 
some of the articles argued CT versus nukes, but several reasons nukes fails. It takes a long time to do the study. Someone has to come in. Even if they're in, it takes a long time to prep. If you find a positive study, you can't accurately localize the bleeding site. One of the things with CT, you can localize the bleeding site. If you go in a couple hours later with angiography and you can't find the bleed, the angiographer can often embolize knowing what vessel was involved. Also with nuke studies, when they're positive, you can see the bleed, but you can't see the cause. CT is very good at showing the cause. Now, this article goes back to 2016. The cases were from 2010. So, again, um, the numbers are not perfect. However, they did say the site of bleeding is localized with CTA in a significantly higher proportion of studies. And again, that becomes very important to us as we determine how to manage the patient. The article also made the point the average time to complete a nuke study was over three hours after the order was placed. CT was about half that. And if you're really efficient, you can make CT even faster than that. So again, time is always of the essence, particularly when it's late at night, which seems to be the time for all bleeding studies. In this article by Sue made the point that in the clinical setting of a patient presenting with GI bleed, requiring catheter-directed embolization. CTA reduces the time to angio as compared to tag red blood cell studies. Given the time for di from diagnostic completion to angio was not statistically significant between the two groups, it can be inferred that the limiting step was with diagnosis as well. So a combination of taking longer, taking longer to make the diagnosis, taking longer to do the study. I think these arguments I put in there just because it comes up every once in a while, but you got to do CTA, okay? Very, very important. The pretest probability with CTA is obviously going to be a lot higher. Again, the article by Wells, a positive result at CTA is predictive of a positive result at subsequently performed fluoroscopic angio. So again, it's not always going to be positive, but a high percent of the time, over 80% typically in most series. So again, very, very important. Now, when we spoke about GI bleeding, we divided things into two. We made the point that lower GI bleeding was distal to the ligament of trites, accounting for 30% of GI bleedings with a mortality up to 3.6%. It should be noted that upper GI bleeds have a higher mortality, often because at times the patients have multiple comorbidities. So GI bleeding, esophagus or stomach may be due to cirrhosis with varices and portal hypertension. So often these comorbidities can be very important. Now a few other facts. When you look at lower GI bleeding, first thing we think about is diverticular disease then angiodysplasia, and then hemorrhoids. But there are multiple other possibilities, including things like delafoy lesions and rectal varices, as well as other colitis. Now, what about protocol? Protocol, we agree, is everything. And you know what I'm going to do? Let me stop here, and let's start next time with protocol. Again, you, there's no surprise what I'm going to tell you. No positive oral contrast fast IV injection, dual phase imaging, look at images with axial and coronal and MIP and volume rendering.
But let's do this. I told you that. That's just a secret between the two of us. Let's come back in a few minutes and pick it up from there. See you then. If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.